So if you were in a conference room, maybe you've each had three or four beers and you could propose a solution that wasn't one side winning or losing. Do you have that in your mind? Are you kidding me? Absolutely. You know, the scenario would have been simple. The CEO uh, of backcountry.com would have given me a call. Not going to be all snow. A wintry mix is forecast for the listening area. Alex Kaufman, Wintry Mix, episode 73. Haven't tossed an emergency pod into the feed in forever. Uh, Also our first Google Hangout driven episode because there's some news that popped up that kind of crosses my daily skiing habit and might be interesting to any business with the word backcountry in their name. Why is that? Because certified letters have been going out around the country, courtesy of lawyers representing backcountry.com. To get an update on what it feels like to receive one of those letters, we've got David Olilla, who manufactures the Marquette Backcountry Skis out of the UP of Michigan. I enjoy those skis myself on occasion. Let's hit the particulars so we can jump right in. Follow the show at Wintry Mixcast on Instagram and Twitter. We're on Facebook, and you can toss in a buck or two at patreon.com slash wintrymixcast. Five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts are appreciated, and I will owe you a beer in the wild. Stand by for the goods. Now that we're three episodes deep into the Colorado relaunch, it's time for me to start hitting the bricks on the sales side. If you want to make my job easier and lock in this slot for the rest of the season, whole bunch of episodes, email me, alex at wintrymixcast.com, so I don't have to do a bunch of sales. rare emergency pod coming at us right now uh, for a variety of reasons. I woke up this morning. It's snowing outside here, outside of Denver, um, but I was planning on going skiing this afternoon on a pair of Marquette backcountries in my backyard, uh, metaphorically speaking, the foothills just to my west. But then the manufacturer of said skis had something on the internet about being sued, and now we're on together. Let's get an introduction. Who do we have on the line? Yeah, this is Dave Olala calling from Flint, Michigan. Alex, how are you doing this morning? I am well, and I'm glad to get you on here and test out this little internet recording device we've got going. Uh, really quickly, before we get deep into some details, what's kind of the headline? What's going on? Yeah, well, the, the headline is, you know, as a small company, um, you know, my company's name is Snapperhead Inventions. Uh, and we can get into a little history about that and what it's all about. Um, but as a small company, you know, I woke up a few months ago 
um, with a lawsuit uh, waiting for me. As a matter of fact, you know, I had the sheriff department up in Marquette chasing me down and then uh, someone serving me papers down here in Flint. Um, if you ever want to feel a pit in your stomach, um, you know, find out that you're being served by the sheriff's office uh, because generally speaking, nothing good comes out of an envelope via the sheriff's office. Um, and it turns out that it was uh, backcountry.com uh, suing me in San Diego federal court uh, over a, a, a trademark uh, in question. Um, can't get into too much of the legal, uh, you know, my limited legal understanding of it as I'm trying to figure it all out. And I need to be careful because there is, you know, ongoing litigation. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, is that um, we're being sued uh, over our trademark. Um, people can research trademarks and intellectual property, I think, get a pretty good handle on what's going on. Um, but it's a fairly aggressive lawsuit. Uh, and I feel like we need to defend ourselves. And so I'm selling skis at a slight discount to try to raise the funds um, to protect what is rightfully mine. And describe those skis. These are not your average skis. I Full disclosure, I have three pair. I'm a huge fan. I may own the most of them of anybody in the country. But what are these things? Yeah, and, you know, and, and it's not only the ski, but it's also the business behind the skis, which is why I started the product. But um, it's a ski snowshoe hybrid. Uh, it comes out of my love for being out in the woods, just like many of the other people that are probably listening to your podcast. Um, and, you know, I'm from Marquette, Michigan. We're in the Upper Peninsula. We don't have big mountains, but we've got some stuff to play with, about a thousand feet of vertical feet. Uh, and, you know, from the standpoint that you'd be out snowshoeing and you get to top one of these mountains and you feel like, boy, it'd be nice to ski down. Uh, I wanted to develop a very, very robust, durable, bomb-proof, inexpensive product that could get people to enjoy the outdoors, um, trudge up a hill in the afternoon and turn around and ski down. So I invented the Marquette Backcountry Ski. It's a ski snowshoe hybrid and it's made out of plastic. Uh, but not single-use plastic. You can use it a whole bunch. Uh, I've never had one break yet. I've had zero warranty returns, and it's just a really easy, inexpensive way to get outside and enjoy the winter. And I gather the reason we're talking about this right now is because you have the word backcountry in the name of the product. Yeah, Marquette Backcountry Ski is the trademark that I own. Uh, I was granted that trademark. Um, I don't have my document in front of me. I think it was 2012 where I finally got the uh, allowance from the U.S. Patent Office, filed it in 2010 or 2011. Um, and I started to invent the ski just about that time. And in our quick little chat this morning prior to getting on the horn, it sounds like other groups with the word backcountry in their name are also receiving pieces of paper in the mail. That's that's my understanding. I haven't seen any firsthand, um, but if you're anybody in the market that's got the name Backcountry associated with your brand or your product or your service, um, I'd be on high alert right now because there's someone out there that wants to take it from you. Uh, do you have any inclination as to what Backcountry.com is trying to achieve or, or you know what's driving this? You know, I, I think I would speak in analogies here. You know, we all accept the fact that when we go skiing, whether it's in the backcountry or whether it's, you know, via lift, that when we decide that we're going to be skiers and we're going to pursue outdoor recreation, we're also assuming that there's a certain amount of liability or risk that would come with that. And, and that's the same with business. Um, when I registered my company, when I invented the product, 
uh, when I decided I would put this out there. Um, there are consequences of being in business. The trick is, is that does the business have enough upside to make it rewarding to try these endeavors? And nine times out of 10, I believe it does. You know, it's perfectly within everyone's right to leverage the U.S. legal system. And that's why we have it. Um, that's one of the reasons why I feel fairly comfortable defending my position here is because I believe in our legal system and I believe in the due process that it provides. But anyone can sue anyone for any reason at any time. Um, and it doesn't really have much to do with what kind of person you are. Uh, but I think it comes down to the fact of uh, backcountry believes that they have something of value uh, within their name and they want to hold it all to their own. Problem with it, I believe, is that there are a lot of names out there, a lot of companies and a lot of programs that use backcountry in its name. It's a ubiquitous term that means a place uh, or possibly an activity. Uh, and so I think what they're doing is, is trying to uh, limit other people's use of that words and, and own it all to themselves. And I'm not, I'm not exactly sure how that works. When did you invent these things? How did you come up with these, this product? You know, in 2009, uh, I was actually running down a non-compete uh, of the big product that I did in the past. So many people probably don't know there was another helmet camera out there before GoPro. Or if you're old enough to know, you, you might know the company Biosport. Um, I invented the first helmet cameras in 1999 and between 99 and 2009, uh, sold an awful lot of helmet cameras early on. Uh, and as a matter of fact, backcountry.com was one of my resellers. And so, um, you know, history is often overlooked, I think, in, in this case. Uh, in any event, um, I had just left a high growth, uh, kind of a, a high tech company. And it was very challenging to run that company when I had outside investors that really wanted to make that a multi-billion dollar company. Um, and when I left that company, I started wondering, well, what would happen if we created products or if, if individuals had the opportunity to bring a product to market that didn't necessarily have to have a multi-million dollar upside? Because not everyone's an entrepreneur, but I know that everybody has an idea for a product or a service that they would like to pursue. Um, and so I gave myself a challenge and, and that was, could one person with less than $100,000 bring a product from concept to market in less than a year? And could I manufacture it here in the United States instead of China? And uh, so I came up with this idea of a ski snowshoe hybrid. Now we certainly have seen small skis with skins on in the past. And the, and the problem that I was having with those products is they weren't as durable as I wanted. I was skiing on rocks and logs and um, in terrain that would just tear up a, a skin. And after a while, those skins don't work anymore. And I wanted something a little more solid state. Uh, so I started designing the product and I went to a automobile, uh, an automotive manufacturer uh, in Coldwater, Michigan, who was sitting at about 40% capacity because no one was making cars in 2008 and asked them if they would blow mold my skis. And so they looked at the design and they say, yes, they would. Uh, so it took me nine months and $90,000 to create the Marquette Backcountry Ski. And it's a very, very small side hustle for me. It's not my primary gig. Um, I do it in the in the season out of the love for providing outdoor access uh, to people who might not be able to afford, you know, twelve hundred dollar pairs of skis and a eight hundred dollar lift ticket to get out into the woods and enjoy the outdoors. 
Uh, and that's what the Marquette Backcountry Ski is. Um, it's a it's a side hustle for me. Uh, I spend less than a couple hundred hours a year working on this product. Um, and on good seasons, I earn the average household income. And I believe that if we create opportunities for people to bring products to market that could earn the average household income, we could actually rebuild the middle class a lot faster than looking for the next Facebook or Snapchat or, you know, should we say WeWork, uh, which isn't working out too well, uh, as you might be seeing in the news right now. So you're shipping 78 pair a year. Like what's what's the number? That's a guess. Yeah, no, it's like, you you know, big years, I'm doing 200 to 400 pair of skis, small years, you know, a couple, you know, 100 pair. Um, and, and look at these skis, they're very inexpensive to make. They cost me about $40 to manufacture a pair. Um, insurance costs about that much as well. The overhead of running the website, and I sell them for $189 at a very um, small but uh, respectable margin. Um, that allows people to buy some skis, some boots, some bindings, and some poles for under $400 and get out into the outdoor market and get out and enjoy themselves. So I think when we first started, you mentioned that you got this piece of paper two months ago. What, what have you done in the preceding kind of 60 days? Yeah, mostly, um, you know, my head is just spinning because, you know, when you have a side hustle, um, and this is not your primary thing. And when you have a family to provide for and you have obligations that go beyond lawsuits and no one ever budgets time or the money for a lawsuit is I've been racking my brain to understand what I should do. Um, and I think in a lot of situations and, and if you're a really small company, you don't really have options. Uh, if I fight and I lose this lawsuit, um, backcountry.com wants three times my all-time profits. They want uh, their legal fees paid and they want to penalize me to teach me a lesson to never start a business again. And I'm actually quite willing to bankrupt not only myself, but my whole family defending this. So that if I lose this, that means I'm not paying for my kid's college. That means that I'm not putting money into retirement. That means this company goes under. Um, but I don't think they were prepared to find someone that's a little bit like a cockroach scorpion. Can't really kill me. And I might just have a deadly sting. That's ballsy, man. There's no choice. Uh, you know, my, my entire career for the last 20 years has been to provide paths to prosperity for people who want to take their company's idea or an idea and turn it into a company. Um, and I can't really stand on my soapbox and encourage people to take on entrepreneurism and be an innovator and to assume the risk that you risk or assume the risk that you undertake when you go into business for yourself and cower the first time someone tries to snake my line. Well, can I do the completely uncompensated sales pitch for your actual product? Because I'm a, I'm an evangelist. I would love to. I'd love to hear it. All right. So I had kids, you know, starting nine years ago. I used to ski 100 days a year. I used to, quote unquote, get after it. Uh, I don't quite get after it in the same way anymore. I teach my kids how to ski. Um, this podcast, like your ski, is my side hustle, not my main thing. Uh, time is at a premium. Distance to skiing is at a premium. And investing in equipment is something that I don't really do for myself anymore. And then arrives, I don't know how I first saw them. I think I first saw them 
from those mad river glen skiers who ski it on about an inch preseason bouchard and brian moore and, and that whole crew i love those guys and i wish i could ski half as well as them on hardly any snow i first saw them you know seven eight years ago on these things and i was like oh that's interesting and then i ended up living um my previous home was in waterbury center of vermont and I kind of realized that I had this really steep, gnarly terrain in my backyard and I had less time to ski. People were getting their powder days and I was seeing them on the internet and I was missing them. And, you know, I needed to be able to get powder days at noon. Actually, when we're done here today, I'm headed up to White Ranch Park. I'm going to go up 2,500 feet from my home, about 20 minute drive, and I'm going to get fresh turns on four to five inches of pow on top of crust that no one has touched yet at one o'clock in the afternoon. And then I'm gonna be back at my house emailing again, 45 minutes later. And these skis let me do that on limited snow, no matter where I am, unlike any other product that exists. And you don't need big vert because you don't have to put on and off skins. So as long as you can find a mellow up route, a big zigzag, a big switchback, that doesn't make you have to skin up straight because they, they can't really go up a steep slope. They can go up a mellow slope with the scales on the bottom. And then you want a kind of moderate pitch or steep pitch coming down. And 150 vert, 200 vert, lapping it six or seven times in 40 minutes with no other tracks. And you can fit it into an hour in your day instead of, I mean, now I'm in Colorado. And it would take me an hour and a half there and back to get anywhere I want to ski in the backcountry. But I would need things like training, equipment, time. I lack all those things now. I'm 40 and I got kids. But if I want to ski powder in golden Colorado... I can do it with these things. And if I smash into some logs and rocks, so be it, whatever. And I'm a huge fan. I have three pair because I was letting my friends who would come over to my house in Vermont try them out when they were there. And, you know, the same thing will happen here in Colorado. So these things for me pull their weight because they allow me to ski on my lunch break, untracked something, and then get back to work. And otherwise, I would just be missing out on it completely. Um, so, you know, the dad market who has a little bit of free time, but can't really get all the way to the mountains, but still wants to ski something, you know, that's me. I love it. And that's why these things are perfect for this weird type of skiing that, that I like to do now. Not a lot of people like to do it, but maybe a few more over time. Uh, hopefully, you know, this is something that you can keep producing regardless of the outcome of the, uh, the disagreement. Well, I mean, I'd like to, and this is, you know, this is one of those products, which is probably the least pretentious ski out there. Um, you know, you said it's a dad ski. The 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 name Marquette Backcountry comes for, for very two specific reasons. One is I also use them the same exact way you're using them. If you're in Marquette, Michigan, and you have these in the trunk of your car and you want to go rip a couple laps at one of the local little uh, backcountry mountains um, that are very kind of specific to Marquette, the kind of stuff that you see them skiing in Vermont and the kind of stuff that you see, you know, that you're doing in, in Golden right out of your neighborhood. Um, that's what they're named for. That's why that name is Marquette Backcountry Ski. It's the kind of style for the backcountry that we're doing. This is not about putting skins and going up some 1400, you know, mountain or 14,000 foot mountain in Colorado that you, you need all the, you know, incredibly expensive gear for. This is just something that you can get out and do some laps and it's very specific. Um, the other part that the name comes from is actually there was a Jesuit priest uh, and his name was Jacques Marquette. And he was traveling in the 1600s around the United States up and down the Mississippi River Valley 
on snowshoes and around Marquette, Michigan and a few other places. Um, and so those two things are where this name comes from. Um, it's just a simple product that allows you to experience a little bit of outdoor recreation at a low cost. And hopefully it gets more and more people into the industry. Um, it's not um, something that's going to be a multi-million dollar market. I don't see everyone on these skis. I didn't design the company or the product uh, to reach millions and millions of people. Um, that would be great. But the idea was I could earn the average household income with a side hustle as an example of bringing this product to market to show other people that sometimes ideas are worth pursuing. Many times they're not, but in this case it was. Uh, it's essentially broken even since I launched the ski in uh, you know the uh, 2010 timeframe. And it's uh, the same ski that you can buy today. I didn't need to put another color on it. I didn't need to put another logo on it. I didn't need to put any more fancy terms on it. It is what it is. It's a ski snowshoe hybrid. You use a three pin ski boot on it. You can do you know a little bit of uphill and a little bit of Paramark Alpine turns on down and you're gonna have a few smiles. And that's really what this product is all about. Let me do some guessing. You're probably not allowed. I'm sure your lawyers are telling you to say certain things and not say other things. Is backcountry.com going to start selling skis? Is this like step one prior to doing that? I'm trying to kind of put myself in their shoes and kind of wondering behind, uh, you know, what's next for them? Yeah, the, the best I can understand it. And again, you know, I'm not them. I can only I can only guess as to why someone like them would be sending letters to people like me. Um, it appears that there is a number of products that they're under collaboration with. You know, backcountry.com and Marquette Backcountry or Snapperhead Inventions have been, you know, playing nice together uh, since both companies were in existence. And my understanding is backcountry.com has a trademark to be a retailer. And it's a different class if you want to put your brand on product. Well, now it seems like there's a collaborative uh, group of products. I, I believe the North Face, I believe DPS Skis, Patagonia, Burton, who are partnering with Backcountry so that Backcountry can put the words Backcountry on those products. That changes their class. And so now it's my understanding that Backcountry is more of an uh, infringing upon my trademark that they have skis that you can buy with the words backcountry on them. So it gets pretty confusing. Um, this is where lawyers make their money. This is not why I set out to make my company. I didn't do this so I could get litigious. Um, and I know that the founders of every one of those companies that I stated, that is also not why they went into business. Um, we went into business because we were doing something that we were passionate about and we wanted to also earn a living by taking our passion and turning it into a business. I think eventually over time, companies start to lose sight of that. And the reason why you started the business is not why the businesses continue to run. So if you were in a conference room, maybe you've each had three or four beers and you could propose a solution that wasn't one side winning or losing, do you have that in your mind? Are you kidding me? Absolutely. Um, you know, the scenario would have been simple. The CEO uh, of backcountry.com would have given me a call and would have said, hey, David, um, look, at, I know you have the trademark Marquette Backcountry skis. The patent office felt like perhaps yours was uh, already in place and we want to put our name on product. 
what could we do to work that out? They could have bought my company. They could have licensed it. We could have gone skiing and figured it out. Uh, there was a million other ways to do this before you send a sheriff to someone's house. So, so do you know what's next in the next, you know, 30, 60, 90 days for this process? Yeah. So right now, um, you know, we had asked that we had a little more time before we can answer. I mean, the, the, the funny thing is that I'm being sued in San Diego. I don't know how many people are in the backcountry in San Diego, unless you count the San Diego Zoo um, as, as part of the backcountry. Um, that's the venue. Uh, I'm going to have to plan on going to San Diego to defend myself. Um, but I also believe that we have a pretty significant opportunity to fight back. Um, and I think I'm obligated to do that because I own this. And that's part of the obligation of when you file for intellectual property, you're obligated to defend it. Um, and so I'm going to defend it. And um, I think that if I come up ahead on that, I'm going to make sure that I fund opportunities for people to bring their products to market in the outdoor recreation industry. I'm also going to make sure that some of those proceeds go to uh, access to get more people outdoors than are outdoors right now, because we can't live and thrive with a sedentary lifestyle in this country. And I think that what we should be doing as an industry is supporting everyone and anyone to get people outdoors versus infighting among ourselves for a small piece of a shrinking pie. Well, I'm just going to root for the conference table and six pack of beer scenario that you laid out there. Yeah, it sure seems a heck of a lot easier than um, dragging people all across the country in lawsuits. I, I just don't think it really fits within the ethos and the moral value that the majority of outdoor recreation people um, believe in. It, it just doesn't seem like the way to do business or the way to make friends. Would you like to um, hear from anybody else with backcountry in their name who has these as well? Do you want to kind of create a club? Yeah, well, absolutely. I think, um, you know, misery likes company. Um, there are there are likely a lot of very small organizations. Um, look at, you know, I've been in big fights before. Um, I, I've, I've uh, you know, little known fact, and we cover this a little bit later, but I'm one of the reasons why you're allowed to get off an airplane after three hours. Um, my experience on an airplane helped pass the Passenger Bill of Rights. Um, I also went through a pretty hairy experience with Kodak during their bankruptcy and some intellectual property rights uh, around that. My guess that if other small companies are getting these same papers, um, they're scared uh, and they're worried and everything that they have is potentially on the line. And I don't think that they necessarily, you know, maybe are, are um, obtuse enough to fight uh, maybe have, you know, the intestinal fortitude to stand up for themselves. Um, and unfortunately are probably going to fold under just the bullying alone, which was certainly seemed to be the tactic here. Um, and so I would love to consult with them. I'd love to see if there's anything that we can do together. Um, it just doesn't make sense for everyone to be fighting over the world word backcountry. Um, when we could be concentrating on things that could be so much more positive. So, yeah. So if there's other people out there, I'd love to hear from them and uh, chat about ways that, you know, we could defend um, the position of the small person within this industry, you know, because we're all small. Anyone that thinks they're big in this industry um, has a misconception of what big is. So what happened on an airplane, David? Come on. 
<laughs> uh, you could Google uh, my last name, Olala, O-L-L-I-L-A, Flight 5637. Uh, in, in 2007, I was sitting on the tarmac at JFK on one of those flights that wasn't taking off. And after about three and a half hours, I decided to figure out what was going on and uh, took my camera prototype up to the cockpit. And I started interviewing the uh, pilot and the co-pilot. And they told me that uh, after about five minutes of me interviewing, that if I kept it up, that they were going to call the police. Uh, and of course, I said that was the best idea they've had all day. Uh, and much to my chagrin, I turned around and there was 12 New York City Port Authority police officers and Homeland Security coming full lights and sirens across the tarmac to take me out. Um, and when they got to the plane, after a little bit of explaining and a lot of knee shaking on my part, they decided that actually I did the right thing, uh, emptied the plane. Uh, and so it was one of the first kind of citizen journalism uh, reports that happened. And then that information was used to help pass the Passenger Bill of Rights. Uh, so now you're allowed to get off an airplane after it sits for three hours on the tarmac. Um, and I almost spent a good part of my life in jail for that opportunity. So I believe it's in my DNA to stand up for what I believe is right, even though it might sting a little bit. Congratulations, sir. That camera, how, how big was it? How was it mounted? Yeah, so the camera was a two-part camera. Uh, it had a recording device uh, that used AA batteries uh, that was about, oh, three inches by eight inches. Uh, and then there was a tethered small camera about the size of a roll of nickels. Uh, between 2000 and 2009, we did about $25 million in sales. Um, you know, sponsored a lot of the fun stuff. We sponsored TGR. We sponsored uh, Ken Block. We sponsored um, the, uh, oh gosh, what was their name? The Nitro Circus guys. Uh, we did a, a lot of the reality shows. We had a really, really good product. And I learned a lot of great lessons in that. I learned that an innovator will kill the company in favor of the product. And an entrepreneur will kill the product in favor of the company. And maybe there's a little bit of today's irony in there. I think what happens is people lose focus when the money becomes the most important thing. And none of us started any of these businesses because of money. So if folks want to help the, uh, I guess, defense fund by buying some skis, they should do what? Yeah. So if they go to marquette-backcountry.com, we've got a coupon that you can see. It's backcountry-free-for-all. And what I want is... All of the money that goes from selling last year's inventory is going to pay for my legal defense. Any money that's left over from that legal defense, I'm going to go ahead and put into a fund for the nonprofit I run called 100K Ideas. That's 100kideas.org. And my mission is to relieve the innovator of the entrepreneurial burden and make sure that everyone with an idea, whether they have zero dollars and no cents, has the opportunity to pursue those ideas. And I will set aside any leftover funds specifically for outdoor recreation products and services and help you explore those ideas and see if they have merit um, and then maybe get you into a, you know, a whole bunch of trouble just like me. As much as I'm in love with your product in, in the interest of not necessarily picking a horse in the race, I can say, though, that I don't want you going broke defending the fact that you produce a product called Marquette Backcountry and have since 2010. That would be terrible. And that would be terrible, but it's just like it would be terrible, you know, dying in an avalanche or getting hit by a car when we're driving. Um, 
I, I'll never have a pity party for saying that business is hard. Business is hard. And you're going to deal with good business people and you're going to deal with not so good business people. And it's simply a consequence of saying, I'm going to start a business and I'm going to appreciate the fact that that has consequences. Um, I don't want anyone be, you know, out there thinking that this is not how the world works. It's just an unfortunate reality of how it really does. And so when you start a business, you might end up in something like this. I think what it comes down to is how much are you willing to stick by your convictions and how much do business decisions being, if I defend this and I lose, then I'm done, like personally and business-wise. But I can't profess to people that they should take their ideas and explore entrepreneurism and be a coward myself. Well, I'm going to be an optimist and predict that this is going to be water under the bridge by December 15th. Probably an uninformed opinion, but I'm, I'm going with it. Yeah, well, I would like nothing more than that. I'd like nothing more than, you know, a call with someone who has a little bit of courage to say, you know what, um, maybe this is all a bit too aggressive and there are other lines to take that aren't so packed out. Fresh lines. Fresh lines, everybody. Fresh lines for everyone. That's all I want. Well, you make a product for finding them and we wish you the best of luck in finding another one here, David. Thanks for the time. Thanks, Alex. I greatly appreciate it and your support. There's not going to be a rant time here in episode 73. The topic kind of stands on its own. I do encourage you to go back into the archive, though. 72 was with Joel Gratz of Open Snow in front of a live audience at Neptune Mountaineering in Boulder. 71 was the first go of a panel format recorded from KGNU. 70 with my cousins who run a bar and fight fires in Winter Park. And 69 was a travel episode to and from Schweitzer at the end of last ski season. WintryMixCast.com for more information. My email, alex at WintryMixCast.com. Maybe you want to partner with the pod. I'm going to start hunting for whoever's going to be in that slot the rest of the year. Email me and save me the trouble. At Wintry Mixcast on Instagram, five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts mean I will owe you a beer in the wild. Our theme music, had it for a while. Yep, it's by Adam Levy. It's a cover of West L.A. Fade Away, but you already know that. I am going to go ski the foothills on my Marquettes because I can, and that's what they're for. And north-facing slopes hold the snow, even if they're not up in the high country. And the backcountry bros should hug it out. Come on, guys. Goodbye. I don't know. I don't know anything at this point, and it's not really to kind of decide, be any kind of judge or jury, just to kind of get an update on what you can share and then, you know, mix that in with a history of, of your product and, you know, consider whatever the implications of this might be, if any. Awesome. Thanks so much. Have a great day and have some laps for me. Yeah, I'm, I'll be out there in an hour and a half. Sweet. All right. Have fun. Later. Thanks, Alex. Yeah, bye. Bye.